Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 87. This is Sunday, March 26, 2017. And today's guest is Jeff Perks, concert organist and pianist from Charlotte, North Carolina. We talked about uh, how important are sound delays, uh, how uh, Jeff handled hand and feet coordination, uh, how he played fugues in in his youth, and uh, how he dealt with panic during performance, and why it is important to play with feeling uh, whenever mistakes occur, and of course um, how to deal with criticism and understand that people are rooting for us. And uh, one of the uh, major successes uh, Jeff has in his new congregation is, of course, uh, that he can share his gift with the uh, with the parishioners. And uh, he believes that every organist should go out and play in public. And uh, one of the greatest things uh, organists can do is, of course, um, Jeff's shows a variety of repertoire and organ stops because uh, in many cases in many congregations uh, people only are hearing hymns regular uh, hymns on the organ and very standard sets of uh, registration combinations but uh, what Jeff is encouraging people to do is really to play variety of repertoire and of course uh, Jeff wants you to find your own path instead of uh, copying others and um, become a leader uh, so to say so that others will try to follow you I hope you will be inspired by this conversation and let's go to the show thank you so much okay. Jeff for uh, joining this conversation I'm so delighted to know more about you about your or organ playing journey about your uh, recitals uh, and about your practice experience about all those things and people around the world from 89 countries will be delighted to get to know you a little better and uh, also be inspired by your uh, words of wisdom thank you so much for your time and generosity and welcome to the show Thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I sure do appreciate you asking me. So, Jeff, let's start with, with the story from your early days. Do you remember the first time you fell in love with the organ? Can you share us uh, this experience? I do, actually. Uh, I, you know, as a young kid, I played a lot by ear and was taking piano. And, of course, I was always involved in church as a young child. And I just remember always watching the lady playing the organ. And uh, even though I loved my piano and the piano lessons, I was, you know, at the age of eight or nine, uh, when church was over, I would go running against the traffic flow from the church to run up and see the lady play the postlude at the end of the church service. So I was just mesmerized by the organ. And I thought, you know, she was a famous lady because she was playing at church. So I would go up there and see her play, and she was the one that actually got me into piano lessons. And so I started taking piano, and then since she was an organist, in the summers, I would take uh, organ when I wasn't taking piano. So in the summer months, I would study organ, and uh, just really, really fell in love with it. And um, eventually, at about the age of 15, I think I joined 
the American Guild of Organists in uh, Savannah, Georgia, where I grew up. And I was the uh, youngest member at that time of the AGO there, which was kind of cool. And so I learned a lot from that situation. And then I finally played for my first wedding when I was 13 years old. So. <laughs> Wonderful. So that was your early days, right? Um, your, your, um, the teacher uh, from the church, right, introduced you to this instrument. Do you remember what kind of organ it was? Pipe organ or a digital uh, organ? No, it was just a. Uh, it was a small Lutheran church, and they had a two manual uh, electronic organ at that time. And of course, you know, I just was even mesmerized by that, but. Then uh, I got really interested into looking into pipe organs. And I remember once I joined the Guild of Organists and got that monthly magazine, uh, I had never seen a pipe organ at that point and was so mesmerized by those. I started sending letters to all the companies that made pipe organs, and they started sending me brochures and packets with pictures and stuff. And I just uh, dreamed of the day that I'd finally get to play a pipe organ. And so finally... On a vacation to Detroit, Michigan, we had a minister friend there, and his wife was the organist, and they had a, a large three manual in a church there that had just amazing acoustics. And I had never played an organ that had that two-second delay, you know. So uh, I remember sitting down to that organ and my hands shaking because I was so excited to be playing my first pipe organ because all I had seen, you know, up until then was the electronic organ. Wonderful. Uh, what was the experience uh, for you with the pipe organ? Um, was it more difficult for for you to play? Uh, was the action action more more difficult uh, to handle? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember actually the action being difficult. It wasn't a tracker organ, so it wasn't totally a different feel for me. Mm -hmm. uh, what was really unusual is I just remember playing the first chord and reacting that it did not play on the organ. I was playing the uh, the Largo by Handel, and I just remembered I played the first chord, and I looked at the lady like it didn't play, and about one second later, here came the sound. And then she told me, oh, there's quite a delay here because the organ was in uh, a little alcove to the side with the choir, and the pipes were, I think, either in the front or the back of the church, and so there was quite a delay. That was that was really unusual for me, and I, I had never, you know, experienced that or didn't even know anything about that possibility. So, you know, once I got going, she just said, you just have to concentrate on what you're doing, and you can't really listen and play at the same time or you'll start dragging. So, uh, so it was an interesting, and I don't think I've ever played an organ that had quite that delay since mm -hmm. then. I just remember that being the difficult part. Yeah, when when, pe uh, when organs have sometimes, they call it pneumatic action. Sometimes, if it's not not um, uh, not working very uh, precisely, very properly, then this delay might happen. I heard that uh, on new organs and uh, precisely constructed action, this this is not a problem. But sometimes on old instruments, yes, this delay can happen up to a one second, for example, and it it's really a problem, right? Uh, if you listen to it the really is. to the delay to the real sound, then it drags, drags, and gets slower and slower, right? Yeah, and I, I remember asking the lady, my first thought was, how would you play for a hymn on this organ? 
uh, when you're accompanying because you have to listen and breathe with the people. And I just could not imagine how you would be able to play uh, and and he and you know be able to have them stay with you and follow the breaths and stuff like that. Uh, but she said you you get used to it, and I'm sure. I'm sure you do, and since then I've not had any problems. But mm-hmm. uh, it was interesting for a, for a kid 13 years old to experience that, you know. Yeah, it's kind of strange, right? You de- depress the keys, even the pedals, right? And the sound <laughs> comes comes out a little bit later, and you want to yeah. be f- even faster, right? You 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 try harder, <laughs> you depress um, harder, right? With more force, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't help, right? So that's. That's the big, big trouble for many people. And my experience for the first time with this kind of action was also very frustrating. It was actually a live concert, <laughs> and I had to to pay attention to what my professor said. Uh, you just have to re- uh, relax, relax, and um, don't pay attention to the sound. Just pay attention to your yeah. fingers, basically. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to hear in your head what you're playing with your fingers and and just separate from the sound which is not quite as enjoyable as being able to hear what you're doing you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly it's sort of like uh, imagining uh, uh, having a choir imagine you are a conductor right but your choir is uh, up in the balcony (laughs) um, and you are downstairs in the pews right and maybe uh, uh, a few uh, maybe 10 10 or 20 yards right distance and uh, and that's why y- y- you you have this delay in sound and uh, your choristers your singers have a trouble of following your moves right as a conductor and they also drag 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 so the trick with this situation is also to look at the at the movements and not at the at the basically sound uh, echo or or reverberation doesn't help here yeah the delay exactly wonderful yeah it, it could be, yeah so you you got your feet wet uh, at the early age jeff right with tr- I did. tricky I really situations did do you remember yeah, and once I, you know jeff do you remember what was the first piece that you played on the organ uh, the first one that I play on the on any organ, you mean? Yes, the first, the the your first piece. Probably you should remember because it's so significant. It's like first love, right? Love at first sight. You know, the book that I remember going through uh, the most because I was pretty accomplished on piano. Uh, the first book that I remember her really working on me with was the Eight Preludes and Fugues. And uh, I loved that book, and I went from cover to cover on that book, and then I would start over again. Mm-hmm. And those were the ones that I really worked on a lot. The, uh, I really remember the playing the Prelude in C from that collection a lot. And then, uh, but I don't really remember any one piece sticking out uh, through my lessons. I just remember doing a lot of pedal exercises, and I remember her doing the thumb technique where you're sliding down to the next note and really helping me to learn how to connect because it was so different than playing the piano. I remember spending a lot of time on, you know, going from one chord to the next chord with a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm glad I had that experience because I think there are a lot of organists that uh, maybe didn't learn that and uh, are pianists that play the organ. You know, you hear that a lot. So, 
So, but, uh, you know, the one, the, the one piece that does stick out in my mind, the first major piece that I remember doing was the little fugue in G minor by Bach. And of course that was when I was in college and that was the first one he assigned to me. And that was the first piece I'd really done that had, you know, a major pedal part that, uh, that seemed to me to be working against my hands, you know, uh-huh. and if my hands, if my hands went up or down, my feet wanted to follow. And that was so different for me. That was, that was quite a, an undertaking, but, uh, you know, once you, once you get used to that, then I think you're okay with it. But I do remember that being a real challenge and fun, you know, at the time. Wonderful. Hand and feet coordination, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so different when you're new when you're new to that, and even still, I think, you know, as you have talked about uh, practice technique, I've seen so much that you have posted on your site that I learned as a kid, you know, play the right hand with the left hand and then play the right hand with the pedals and then the left hand with the pedals. Mm -hmm. And uh, that way you practice every different part. And I remember doing that so much, and that's the only way you're able to get it all together uh, because sometimes they feel like they're three doing three opposite things at the same time together. Yes, and especially in the fugue like this, BWV number 578 probably, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. You have sometimes four parts, four parts. Yeah, exactly. And if you can play the hands easily, three parts, right? It does not necessarily mean you could actually add... uh, a pedal line and uh, and be done with this, right? You have yeah, to you have true. to actually master each individual part first, and then combinations of two parts together. You do, which and which I are really six the way, the, in total. Yeah, and the way you have put out in your uh, and you're talking about how to practice is really great because not only does it uh, help you in getting all that together. But the big thing it helps for me to do is to really find out if you get to know each voice individually, then you know where your phrases are and, you know, your phrase marks and any breath marks you want to put in. And you want to make sure that you're consistent with your voices. So as you get uh, as you get better at, you know, learning each voice, you start to see things that you maybe don't don't see if you don't really study it that that in depth, you know? Right, right, right. And you probably have to start thinking like a composer did when he composed, right? This piece, this fugue, he he composed uh, parts, individually parts. Uh, Yes, he thought about the harmonic resulting chords, but each voice was very important. So um, what helped me and probably many others was singing each line. Uh, singing, uh, as you say, paying attention to the phrasing re- rests, right? You're treating yeah, each voice exactly. as as a as a separate choir member. Uh, yeah, and I think you helps. have to be aware of where where each voice enters again, and where you get the main thing coming back in. And I think if you don't study each voice part, there's a lot you can miss. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just you can just get into playing the song and not really know what you're playing. And I think it just really, really helps to be able to know those entrances and, and the phrases and to make sure you're playing all of them the same, you know, and not breathing in one place that you don't breathe in another. Yeah. And uh, so, when you play uh, fugues in public, right, they sometimes are so 
difficult to to understand to to appreciate for general audience right they say the fugue is 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 a wonderful piece uh, as as parts enter one by one your listeners <laughs> leave one by one right <laughs> I think I've heard you say that before <laughs> it's not my idea this is an ad- anecdote i'm 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 actually remembering from the old days, but it's in addition to that. A punchline is actually different. Uh, it's not true. The listeners are known to be living uh, in droves, <laughs> basically, <laughs> not one uh, We have. I, I'll tell you a funny story. When I uh, finally was able to perform that um, G minor little little fugue, uh, I, I was asked to play by my college professor in a choir concert we were doing and it was in uh savannah georgia at st paul's lutheran and they had a magnificent uh pipe organ there that i was able to get to practice on a good bit and uh they had us all in choir robes and uh as i should have probably practiced in the choir robe ahead of time uh, i was playing in a regular choir robe that everybody sings in with the long sleeves mm-hmm. and thank goodness i had a page turner but I got halfway through the song or through maybe the second page. And when the second voice that came in in the left hand was going up to the treble notes, my left hand choir robe got caught on the organ bench and I couldn't reach all the notes up there. And of course I didn't want to stop all the voices going and, you know, to fix my robe. So I just yelled at my page turner, fix my sleeve, fix my sleeve. And she was able to pull it out for me to, be able to continue and i don't think anybody ever knew but boy for somebody as young as i was that was quite an experience and i learned early what type of choir robe to wear <laughs> exactly but but you remember this funny story for a long time right and uh, oh yeah it's such a powerful way to connect with people because even today when you play in public something similar like in your early days you can relate to the story you can actually Tell this story to your audience uh, in between the pieces, right? Yeah, exactly, because uh-huh. it, it's just a, a perfect testament to the fact that you never know, you know, when you're playing a pipe organ, you never know when there's going to be a cipher, and there's always going to be something that's going to happen that's going to catch you off guard, and it's just, uh, I think that was the first situation I'd had that was a panic moment for me, you know, so... But you learn from those, and then you learn how to keep going. But there is, there's always something unexpected around the corner. So, Jeff, how do you deal with panic today? Of course, in, in early days, it was very difficult, right? But now you can be very uh, strategic about de- dealing with panic attacks during public performance, right? And it doesn't throw you off balance, probably, today, nearly as much, at least. So do you have any tips well, for, I, for organists today? I think the main thing, uh, well, it's, you know, I wouldn't say there, it's a different thing when you talk about maybe a panic attack. Some people really suffer from, um, you know, from panic, being panicky and, and almost, and I've had that situation when you felt like, oh, I can't go on and I can't even sit here and play. And it's scary. And, you know, what you have to just try to do is do some deep breathing and get get through that situation. I find if I start to concentrate too much on how many people are out there listening or something like that, then I can be distracted. And that's when I may start getting nervous or panicking. If I get more into my breathing 
and thinking about the phrasing of the piece and the dynamics of the piece and lose myself more into the piece, then there's only so much you can concentrate on. If I feel like if I'm concentrating on the people out there listening, then I'm not concentrating hard enough on the music. Uh, that's how I would handle like panic attack situations. When it comes to the other stuff that happens, the unknown stuff, you know, your your page blowing down off of the organ or right. hitting the wrong stop at the wrong time. I think that's just experience. And the more it's just like anybody else, the more you perform, I think you get used to that. And I know, you know, I had several situations as a young kid. I remember playing during communion one time and um, I had long fingers and my finger just accidentally hit the general piston for like the loudest hymn. So I was playing really softly and all of a sudden all the stops came on and you talk about a panic situation. I didn't know how to get out of that, but to start pushing stops in. Um, but you know, once you get through those things, I think you get used to it and then you just have to not react to it. You just have to fix it as fast as you can and go on and realize these things do happen. We're only human and, and these organs are only instruments and, uh, that it's just, you know, one time. Beautiful, beautiful. You, we probably have to be more forgiving to ourselves, right? If we think that oh, totally 100 people are listening to us and they're criticizing probably, it's not really true. They came to, to this uh, public performance, whatever it might be, maybe the pub, you know, church service or, or a real recital. They came to enjoy it, basically, right? Especially if they they pay pay some money, right? Like buy a ticket. They came to enjoy it and be moved by your performance. So, uh, as you say, we are not robots, not machines, and sometimes things really happen, which actually makes uh, makes performance only more memorable, right? More. It does. It does. More. Uh, connecting with the audience because the audience can really appreciate oh he is not uh, not only virtuoso but a human like uh, we all are and uh, can relate oh if 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 a person in in an audience s- sits and sees something happening with the organist he or she can really remember oh it's like uh, reciting a poetry right i forget some some words right what happens uh, i'm panicking it's the same with the organist, right? Uh, general people, not organists, can also appreciate this kind of emotional uh, situation that organists are experiencing. Yeah, and I, and I do think that people, are, you know, like you just basically said, the crowd that you're there, they're rooting for you. They want you to do well because they're there to enjoy themselves. So they're, they're not against you. And uh, I think sometimes we walk out and we think, wow, there's all these people here. And, and what if I mess up? And as I've told my students before, because I, you know, you learn so much from teaching students about yourself because you see what works with them and then you realize, wow, I can do this with myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and obviously we've learned it somewhere along the way, but, um, you know, when you have young students that are kids, they think to miss a note is the worst thing in the world, you know? And I heard uh, a saying by that, I think a quote that Beethoven said one time that to miss a note was totally forgivable because we're only human and we're going to miss a note. But to play without musicality and feeling was unforgivable. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I find that really interesting. And I tell my kids, I say, you know, uh, or any of my students that I teach, you, you're going to, we're only human at some point. You're going to miss a note. 
But the thing is to keep going and trudge through it and play for the music, play the phrasing and the dynamics and still have the feeling what you, anybody can forgive one note, but they don't want to hear a boring performance, you know? Yes. So, uh, there's a lot to be learned there. And I think we have to, we have to be our biggest cheerleaders and root for ourselves. When you're going to play in front of people, you just try to have to get your own, uh, you know, your own ego boosted within yourself. If you have problems with your own ego, I think it can go out there and that's when it can really mess with you. You know, you have to be your biggest cheerleader. Exactly. Because people are rooting for us. They are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For us, although yes, sometimes our colleagues or, or you know, uh, competition can really uh, kick kick in because sometimes our colleagues can come in and secretly <laughs> criticize us, right? Music critic from oh, yeah. a local newspaper, right? <laughs> that that might happen, but it's very rare, basically. Yeah, well, you know, I remember that just as you're saying. I remember uh, the hardest hardest audience I remember playing for was in college when you know when we're young and we're still not that experienced and you have a lot of musicians and we had to play once a week uh in front of all the other music majors which was about 500 people uh where i went university of south carolina and you had to play once or twice as a performance major once or twice each semester and i remember you know hearing musicians that may not have been anywhere as good as somebody and they would hear someone play something and then they would be so critical. And I remember telling myself, I, I would never criticize if I could not sit down and do what they were already doing. But it seemed like so many people felt like to criticize somebody else made them a better musician. And uh, that was that was really hard for me to go through because that was a hard situation to play in. A lot of people that you respected that were talented, some better and some not as good, but all still critical and they all knew when, when something went wrong. So that was hard. So I, I have to say I probably enjoyed more playing for the, the general audience <laughs> uh -huh. than, uh, than, than the critical people. You know, you have to play in front of a lot of people that know. And uh, I, I would be a little bit more nervous with that. <laughs> and Jeff, isn't that the sign of maturity, right? When we treat other people with generosity, with... Uh, with optimism, with hope, right? We are thankful, basically. We are grateful that somebody is, uh, is putting themselves on the line, right? And playing, uh, making themselves vulnerable. And um, we are not here to criticize others, right? But, but as you say, young people, students tend to be more, uh, more uh, maybe um, critical, uh, uh, basically willing more to criticize but not willing to do things right take action and yeah. practice as much as that person who, whom they are criticizing so I it's think very it comes true. with, with very age true. sometimes to, to people right I think you're probably right I, I mm -hmm. just remember as that young college kid uh, that I experienced a lot of that from other people And I just remember saying, you know, I'm not going to criticize unless somebody asks me what I think about something uh, from their own playing. I'm not going to be the person running around criticizing, especially somebody that I respect for being way better than me. I'm not going to criticize them just to make myself feel better. I, I always resented that. And uh, but I think you're right. We grow out of that. Mm -hmm. And the older you get, like you said, you uh, we learn 
what a responsibility being a musician is and how thankful we have to be to do, you know, to be the gifted people we are and to be as lucky as we are and be able to do what we do. We're really given a gift and it's all about being able to share that with other people. And you have to just get rid of the nerves and the pressure and all of that other stuff and, and come down to the fact that it's really about being thankful to be able to share the music and share our gift that we're given. We're mm -hmm. so lucky. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, uh, on the other hand, people who are reluctant to share their gifts, right, say um, they're only practicing for their own enjoyment and staying at home, basically, and n never uh, showing what they learn to public, they are perhaps afraid to be criticized, right? But that is I only so. because they are concerned with uh, how they will appear in front of others, what, they, what others will think about them. It's, it's a little bit of ego thing, I think. Mm, whereas others yeah, who, yeah. who decide to share the gift with others might seem like, uh, like really arrogant people, right? Who am I uh, to, be, uh, to be so, so arrogant and s uh, stay in front of, you know, stand up in front of audience and play this, this wonderful toccata or something? Um, but it does take uh, a lot of uh, generosity to share the gift, right, with others. I think so, too. I really do. And just as you said, I, you know, I've had a couple of adult students that have worked really hard and practiced and, and done really well. And they seem a lot of times to be the ones that say, oh, I don't want to play because I'll try to, you know, get them to play in a church service. And they will say, oh, I just want to do this for me. And, and once you could get them to do that once or twice, then they realize, wow, I can do this. I can get through it. And I didn't make a big, huge mistake and stop in the middle of the piece, and it wasn't so bad. And I think then when they realized how appreciative the other people were to hear what they had to share, it makes a big difference, I, mm -hmm. I really think. You know, but there are some people that just aren't, aren't meant to play in front of people, and that's fine, too. The, the thing is, if you enjoy it, do it. Um, if, you, if you can't learn to enjoy it and it's uh, just such a fear, then, uh, you know, maybe that's not for you, but... I still encourage people to do that mm -hmm. because uh, I think there is a big payoff to the work that we put in uh, anybody that's studying. And I think I just think it's a good experience. Exactly. Yeah. It's like going on, going to the competitions, right? And uh, competing uh, with other professional musicians, uh, not necessarily for the sake of uh, winning, but f for the process, right? F for preparation. Oh, yeah. It's the it's, it's same, same thing because we always uh, tend to work much harder when we have a deadline, a real deadline, and when we I are about totally to risk agree. something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, Some people, I, I think, are better at others than be able to self-motivate themselves and just practice no matter what. Uh, I'm one of those people, like you just said, I do a lot better to have something coming up. If I have a concert I'm working toward or a program or something like that, I have, you know, a goal in mind. That's when I do my best practice. Exactly. So, Jeff, what is your goal today with organ playing? What is your dream for the next three to six months? Gosh, you know, I'm just I'm at a point now with my church I'm at. I'm at a Presbyterian church, and I've only been there a year. Uh, I was at a church previous to that, and I was there 10 years. Right. So I got an opportunity right. to go uh, 
I was in a Methodist church and they had kind of uh, gone a little bit more to this new type of praise music, which a lot of churches are doing. And uh, I just decided I wasn't really willing to quite go that way as much as they were. So I transferred over to this Presbyterian church and was able to help them acquire a new instrument that was just so much better than what they had already. And um, so I think my goal really right now uh, is to just kind of get those people to, uh, I, I think they're already amazed with what we can do at church. Our choir is getting better. And I think the music is already better. I think right now I'm just trying to let them hear as much different literature as I can let them hear. I think they were used to hearing maybe a lot of hymn tunes, you know? Mm -hmm. So, which I think I, I love variations on hymn tunes and arrangements on hymn tunes, but I also love original pieces that use all the different uh, voices on the organ and all the different colors. And I think they had not really experienced all the colors and you know now that we have this large four manual instrument there's so much i'm showing them that they're not used to hearing so my goal with them to get to get them really is just to be able to enjoy organ music and know what the organ can do and i already think we're kind of well on our way there so wonderful so i'm so enjoying that yes uh, i can totally relate to that because sometimes when we go on concert tours right uh, we we tend to meet local people right who are who don't even are aware of the beauty of the repertoire of the variety of repertoire uh, right the, all this the here is is hymns all the time right and uh, oh, yeah. if the guest organist uh, visits their local church right they always say, oh, we didn't know that our instrument was capable of producing such <laughs> magnificent sounds. So what you're doing yeah. for your congregation, Jeff, is probably the same uh, life-changing experience, too. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, uh, I'm enjoying doing that because I'm enjoying experiencing the organ. But I'm really uh, enjoying the looks on their faces and when they come running up to the organ afterward and tell me how much they love something or like, you know, the, the choices of stops that I, you know, I don't think that they had even heard Baroque music that used the, the cornet or just a, an eight, and eight foot flute and a two foot flute. They didn't know what those sounds sounded like. And now they're hearing all these different colors and the mutant stops and stuff. So. I'm really enjoying when I do something different like that and uh, get such a reaction. Right. Are there any challenges that you meet uh, on your way uh, to uh, to getting people to know this instrument in the more intimate way? Uh, so far, they've been really good. I, you know, I find that this church also is, uh, you know, struggling to figure out who they are, and they're without a minister right now, and. Um, you know, there's a couple people in every church that want to kind of start hearing what the new churches are doing with the guitars and the drums. And everybody, you know, people ask, why aren't we doing that? And, you know, my answer to that is everybody doesn't have to do that. We don't all have to stay relevant and be the same type of church. You know, I think we have to do what we do well. And that's what I'm trying to do within my church is do what I do well and have our choir do what they do and do it well. And I, I just want the uh, the rest of the music and the and the services. I just want us to do what we do well and not try to copy somebody else just because they're popular. You know. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeff. Uh, 
it's such a social pressure to copy whatever uh, everybody else is doing right especially in church situation um, um, basically trying to include pop instruments pop music instrument pop music uh, influence right uh, repertoire guitars synthesizers drums uh, all those things that uh, uh, supposedly youth loves right young people love but uh, I think it's quite the opposite because if we copy um, everybody else, we become just like just like everybody else. We become irrelevant, basically, by copying yeah. others. But uh, as you say, if we are trying to do things that we are doing well, right? We are basically uh, finding our edge, our uniqueness, right? Value that we provide is completely unique then people will that will notice this and will will come to to us because we're different yeah and the, the people that love what we do will find us and stay but uh there i don't know there's such a pressure especially i think here in the united states i don't know if it's everywhere else but there's such a pressure here because so many of those churches have turned into two thousand members and four thousand members and as soon as a smaller church finds out that maybe that's the kind of music they're doing, the the quickest deduction is, oh, if we do that kind of music, we'll grow to be that large church also. And I don't think that's the way we, you know, I think we should let the church that's meant to do that, do that, and let's do what we do well. And I can guarantee you there's something out there for everybody, and we just have to find the people that are there for what we like, and we have to be good at what we do. And uh, just like you said, not not try to change. There's too many people already changing to get those big numbers in, and uh, it's just a shame. Yeah, just imagine situation, right, where people could really relax from the social pr pressure, right, from the board of of uh, of uh, uh, church elders, right, who decide every week or every month on on committee meetings. <laughs> oh no, we have to take this direction now. No, we have to switch gears to and become uh, like another church, like that, like that, like like the mega church, right? Um, if yeah. we relax for a second, right, and try to become the best small church, right? The best, but the smallest church, the smallest congregation that we do, uh, you know, not try to grow and uh, scale beyond our limits then we will actually yeah. find that we're no longer small because people who 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 not only like us but uh, uh, appreciate what we do and would miss us if we would be gone they try yeah, to tell exactly. about us about us uh, uh, to others right they become like evangelists of our uh, of our culture yeah, I think that's very true. I totally agree. It's very diff difficult, though, Jeff, because uh, everybody is doing this, right? We have to like stay relevant, and uh, we think, oh, we have to copy somebody else, uh, the big, the big stars, right? Like bigger mega churches. But it, it's the same with organists too. Uh, everybody uh, wants to play the same things that that everybody else is playing, right? And if yeah. people try to stay of this tendency just for a bit and think, how can I be completely different, right? Uh, unique uh, and completely opposite than, than the, the majority of other organists, 
then of course nobody else can copy me or actually they will start copying me because I'm so unique yeah that's, that would be a good challenge for us to all make to ourselves you know yes it's very scary though because uh, then you are alone right we are alone uh, and we don't have this social support right if we copy somebody else then we just follow their footsteps right and if, if that works for them that supposedly should work for us but if we are inventing our own path then we are on your own we we don't have anyone to blame for for the failures yeah. for the mistakes right so that's it's that's, true that's people, also people are going to go where they people are going to go where they're happy being and they're you know everybody is not meant to be in a mega church or be in a church with the drums and the praise and you know everybody's not meant to be in a church with a large choir and a pipe organ either you know so people are going to go where they're happy and i think we should let them find what that is and we don't have to copy somebody else to to, to have our own crowd right right so. wonderful so jeff um i hope uh, this year will bring you um fantastic uh, new experiences with your wonderful four manual instrument that you are trying to um, um, basically uh, introduce to your uh, audience to introduce to your congregation right and uh, yeah. you you stay original and uh, stay relevant this way by by not following others but doing what you really love and what you are good at Well, thank you. That's that's my goal for myself too. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Jeff, of course, people uh, want to get to, to know more about you and your work. Uh, so, how can find how can they find out more about you? Can you give uh, our listeners a link? Yeah, I do have a website. It's um, just my name, which is Jeff J E F F, and my last name, which is Perks. P-E-R-K-S, that's P as in Paul, E-R-K-S, and that's jeffperks.com. Uh, probably the better way is to go to Facebook and look up Jeff Perks Pianist-Organist. Uh, I do a lot, of, I have a four-manual organ in my house, and I do a lot of posting with that organ, and I also do a lot of playing on uh, my piano here at home and post a lot of my professional stuff on that page, so that's a good way to get to get to know me musically would be to go to that that page on facebook wonderful i'll make sure i will include this uh, link into the description of this conversation so that people could click and visit uh, uh, your your site and your your uh, facebook page as well so thank you so much jeff uh, from from your early days when you, when you dealt with sound delays and handed feet coordination <laughs> right you grown so much by playing fugues and of course uh, you you survived those uh, multiple um, anxiety <laughs> issues during public performances right by playing with It's feeding true. and concentrating not on the audience but on the music right and of course we know that people are rooting for us and that's why we have to deal with criticism so gently and with forgiving way so thank you so much for your generosity your uh, wisdom and keep sharing the gift uh, uh, of your talent and music and your instruments with wonderful uh, 
audience that you have in your congregation and beyond that too go online and post your videos of your performances so that the global audience can also appreciate what you do and of course stay stay away from the pack by creating your own pack uh, path so that yeah. others can follow your footsteps jeff thank you so much well thank you i appreciate you having me and thank you for all you do to educate and teach us organists um we so much appreciate what you do to keep the organ alive and to helping us make be, make and be better organists i really appreciate your work one one thing at a time uh, of course there are so many things that we want to do right jeff but uh, time is limited right uh, and we only have so much energy during our days but if we could That's do true. just one thing uh, today to inspire others to help others grow in whatever niche we, we choose, in whatever way we choose, that's that counts. That's worth something, right? Uh, that's worth uh, getting agree. out of bed in the morning for. <laughs> I totally agree. Thank you so much, Jeff. Let's stay in touch. Thank you so much. You have a great day. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.